Hey, Evan, thanks so much for joining me on the JobMate podcast today. Great to have you here. I think this conversation for me is obviously all about leadership as you're an expert in the subject. I think there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of years about what leadership means, company culture, what's happening in the workplace, the challenge of people working from office or working from home. And I think there's a lot of discussion to be had. But um, to start with, I just want the listeners to learn a little bit more about you, your background, and how you ended up doing what you're doing today. Yeah, nice to see you, Lewis. And um, thanks for having me on the show. It's our third attempt, I think, to record. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I um, nice to see you again. And as I said, nice to be on the show. And my background, you know, I um, as soon as I finished high school, my first study was in Switzerland. I moved to Switzerland to study. I spent ten, two years study, and then I stayed for another year to work. I love the country, really nice. Uh, well, you're coming from a uh, from a chocolate uh, background, so I think you probably visited the country. Still very traditional, probably, in the way they make chocolates. Still everything is probably, you know, manual. Um, so I, when I, I lived three years there. Once um, I had, you know, Switzerland is, is, is lovely, but it's a little bit quiet, you know, if you're in your early 20s. And then I said, look, I want to study more. I went to the UK. The school, the business school that I studied in Switzerland had a partnership with... Um, Leeds Beckett University. So I directly went to do my MBA and I actually joined the MBA class. I just did one year because I have two years previous work, previous study and one year experience. So for me, it was just one year. And when I graduated, I worked, um, I was employed by a company in the sales division in Leeds. Um, I started as an employee doing sales, um, communication, face-to-face. We did uh, business-to-business, we do events, really, you know, below the line direct marketing and which is actually very good because as a young graduate you develop so many skills that you realize later on what you develop like communication emotional intelligence the ability to read people confidence and um, after a year i got promoted to actually run my own branch my own office so i got some of my team members we moved from Brist- we moved from leeds from yorkshire to southwest to bristol i opened my company we did quite good. After two years down the line, I've opened another office in Swindon, and I did this for seven years, 10 months, to be exact. And then I had the company interested in us, and then I sold the company, and then I took a year off traveling the world. And uh, if, you, if you travel the world for a year, you know, it's nice, but that sometimes you'll get bored as well. <laughs> and then uh, I always had this kind of offers coming to my inbox in the meantime. But then after almost a year, I had a headhunter coming to me and say, look, Evan, um, there is a financial brokerage. They want to expand and they're looking for people similar to you with your skills. What do I mean? Like sales, opening offices, managing people, setting up companies, driving sales, revenue, recruitment. And I said, where is the location? And they said to me, Cyprus. And, you know, coming from the UK, you know, going to a, relocating to a country with like a nine, 10 months sunshine and then had to think much. So I moved there and I worked exactly five years and I had the company expand in mainly in Asia, opening offices in Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines. And my last year was based out in Sydney and exactly five. Uh, I did it for five years. That was the contract. That was the, the deal I had. And then I exited. I took my cut and then I took another break for six months. And then I said, look, I don't really wa- want to kind of be the typical employee. Now I want to do something else. I want to again work for myself. And I said, look, I have the experience now. Why don't I, become, you know, share my experience, share my failures, you know? And uh, I started consulting. I started coaching, training, 
And uh, at the time I was in Asia, that's where you see my website, Executive Coach Asia. So I'm doing it since then. And uh, right now we have clients all around the world. And uh, mainly everything kind of shifted for us from face to face to online, which is actually not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. It didn't turn up too bad. So this is where uh, where we are today. Yeah, that's awesome, Evan. And I'm, I'm really interested to know when you realized that leadership was so important and how you then kind of built that into what you do today. And, and I guess, how do you see leadership, you know, as, as a kind of double, double question? Yeah, great question. I think I understood what leadership is when I was in the UK, because I came from Switzerland. Switzerland is a very traditional hierarchical country that if you want to do something, let's say if you want to get promoted, if you want to be a manager, you really need to have gray hair. <laughs> you need to be this kind of, you know, yeah, well, not for me, but <laughs> you really, what, what I mean, you really need to be kind of traditional. You know what I mean? Like you really need to build that, that experience and, um, in, 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 and maybe, you know, fresh ideas don't really matter. So when I came, you know, when I arrived from to the UK from Switzerland, I, I realized that, you know, uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship, innovation, uh, driving revenue, um, you know, the UK is a great country because you're not judged. You are not judged, I repeat, based on your religion, color, sex, nationality. If you're black or white, you're just judged or you will be evaluated based on, you know, can you do the job? Can you deliver? Can you, uh, you know, keep people happy? Can you drive sales? Can you do what you're supposed to do? So I realized that early on, but then at the same time, you really need to be the kind of leader, I guess, in the UK where, you know, you need to earn your respect. So I realized that, you know, I really need to, I cannot just sit, sit at the office and, you know, delegate. I really need to get it stuck in and roll my sleeves up and lead by example. So I was lucky enough, I suppose, to understand the concept of leadership early in my career. And... You know, there are many definitions, I suppose, of leadership as probably the thousands of books written on the topic, Lewis. And there is no right or wrong answer to, to the question of what leadership is. It has so many meanings. And I suppose depends who is leading and those being led. Leadership is very situational and, you know, it can it means different things. You know, it means you know, coaching, motivating, cheerleading, explaining, observing, counseling, guiding you know, different situations require different approaches. And, um, and uh, but if you were to ask me, you know, to give a quick, I don't know, definition of leadership, I would say that it's three, three kinds of things. Um, ability to bring people together to get remarkable things done. So this is what for me leadership is, the ability to bring people together to build something, to get to, 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 to create something. Ability, first of all, because I do believe if you want to be a good leader, if you want to be a better manager, you can actually learn it. Okay? There are techniques, there are tactics, there are strategies that you can learn. Number two, people. If you don't have followers, you are not a leader. You are not anybody, right? And I don't mean social media followers, you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean followers, you know, people to follow you, people to believe you, people to trust you, people to follow your vision. And number three is to get things done. In other words, execute. You cannot be a theoretical leader. You cannot be a philosopher. You know, if you cannot, if you cannot execute, if you cannot build something, a company, a team, sales, culture, I don't think you will be successful. So ability, get people kind of behind you and execute. 
Cool. That's great, Evan. No, um, that's it's a really nice but also very simple definition. I think there's obviously a lot to unpack there because I'm interested in this, and I, I've seen both. I think I've I've seen bosses, and I've seen leaders, and I think for me they're they're two very different things. It's a, it's a very different approach. You know, I've I've had clients that you know stand there with a bull whip and threaten and are aggressive and think that that is the best way to get something out of people. And I've seen people inspire the people around them. And not only do they get better results, they they get hugely different results. But I think also, also those people end up going way over and above beyond what they are actually supposed to be doing within their role. So I'm, I'm interested in that as well. Have you got any thoughts around, do you think there is, is there a difference between a boss and a leader? And, and do you think that what for you changes that dynamic? Is it is it a case of somebody just learning to do it? Or do you think, is it a born thing? What 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 is it? You see, I'm laughing, I'm smiling because I was exactly what you described. You know, I came from Switzerland in the UK. I started, I got promoted. I was really the arrogant, young, cocky leader. You know, I started in Switzerland and you don't know anything. And let me show you how it's done. But then I realized, uh, hold on, buddy. You need to prove yourself again, right? So uh, that's why I laugh. I was exactly, and I made tons of mistakes. And you know, if you were to, you know, to look at an example of you know how not to do it, <laughs> come talk to me. So <laughs> I, I made tons of mistakes. You know, I lost my team members. I was arrogant. I, 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 I yeah. So and then I realized, you know, I need to prove myself again. Just like you know. If you're playing for Manchester United and you're you're taking a transfer to I don't know Real Madrid anywhere you have yeah you are good your 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 results proven you are good but your past is the past you have to prove yourself again so I was the, the, the I was the type of um, I was the boss and then I realized hold on you know I, I need to be behind my people I need to support them I need to be the kind of person that uh, people can rely on me and. Um, you know, there. I suppose in 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 today's um, Lewis organizational context, where over the last couple of years, I I think you would agree, a lot of things changed, right? The way we approach, we manage people, stakeholders, partners, suppliers, kind of changed. So I I think today there are three essential roles of a leader. Number one, I think a successful leader, we should define. The task, what do I mean, is we should make it clear of what is the group, our group is expected to do. What do we want to achieve? And you see in my consultant uh, consultant work, I see a lot of people sometimes when I do 360 degree assessment with employees, with managers, realize that a lot of employees don't actually know what is expected of them. And that comes down to communication and other factors. But Please define the task. What do you want the group to do? Where is the vision? Where are we heading? You know, it could be daily tasks. It could be hourly tasks. But please be clear to your people. Define the task. Number two is to actually achieve the task or at least achieve 70, 80%, right? And again, I'm going to be, you know, and this is why the group exists. And I'm going to use again, again a sports analogy. Um, what happens if you know if you you want to win the league? Everybody knows it, or you want to be you want to be within the top five, you know, of the Premiership. But then you fail. What happens to the team? Frustration, right? Disharmony, criticism, the media jumps of you, and eventually even disintegration of the team. 
So again, go back to execution. Can you achieve the task? Or can you at least achieve 70 or 80% of the task? And number three, I, I think, especially when it comes to hybrid work, remote work, people working from home, or if you are working with people from different cultures and nationalities, is to maintain relationships. Relationships between you and them, but also relationships in between them. And if I was to kind of share something is, I think an effective leader today, we should be able, you know, as I use it when we, to balance three things, um, results, relationships, ego. Because if you're too results driven, you will get results, but people won't stick with you a lot because you'll drive them crazy. The opposite is relationships. If you're just the kind of the manager that you're too, is too friendly, you will make a lot of friends, but you will struggle with results. And the third thing, your ego, ego, I mean, your ego, if you're too much, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me, people will think, well, what is it in it for me? So a good manager, we should be able to balance. We need to know when to push, we need to know when to pull, and we need to, you know, be inclusive. Yeah, no, that's that's great, Evan. Uh, so, so many really awesome points there. And I think you, you're absolutely right that you only start to realize leadership and its importance when you make a lot of mistakes in business. But I think that as well, a lot of companies get to that point of sort of going, we know that something's not right. We don't quite know what. And I think there's something interesting that I've seen a lot in the past before is when you talk to leadership and then you talk to staff, they often give you very, very different perspectives. The leadership might tell you, oh, we're a family. We're, we're all in it together. It's it's this great little harmonious group. You speak to the staff and haven't got anything nice to say about the management. So it's interesting that there's all these kind of dynamics at play that you have to think about. So I think from your point of view, Evan, I, I just kind of want to digress because I think for, for an SME I think a lot of people know that leadership is really important. A lot of people, I think, now are talking about it and thinking about it a lot more. Where do you think is a kind of first place to start as a leader, but then also as when, you know, when trying to bring a team together and build those relationships and create that balance and, and also that, that ego? I think, you know, one of the key kind of responsibilities of the role of a successful leader today is to have the mindset that, you should always kind of strive to improve and empower, empower and nurture your employees to become better in doing their job. And I used to believe, and a lot of managers used to believe, that we need power and control. But we were wrong. You know, like power really comes nowadays from understanding relationships. And it is absolutely true that all top leaders, when we're communicating with staff, we can make our message simple enough enough for everyone to grasp but complex enough to make it attractive and exciting so if you you know you ask me where to start leadership really is about communicating effectively and connecting with others therefore i would argue that effective communication is a hallmark of a great leader now Every leader is a manager, but not every manager is a leader. But sometimes you need to be, you know, becoming, being a manager and managing things and managing people and organizing is not necessarily a bad thing, you know, especially if you, uh, if you have, you know, new team members. And I'm going to talk about micromanagement in a little bit. But management is concerned with the effective use of resources, including people or budgets, 
finance, IT, whatever. But leadership concentrates on getting the best results out of people. But I think they both need it. Sometimes you need to be leader, but sometimes also you need to be a manager to organize things, to, to, to organize tasks, to delegate. So now on micromanagement, I think people are a little bit, you know, the term micromanagement is a little bit misunderstood. What do I mean? In my experience as a subordinate, as a manager, as a director, and now as a consultant, as a coach, I can tell you that I believe, I strongly believe that micromanagement is not the problem. If you are to ask me what is the problem, I think the problem is mismatching of styles. For example, let's say you are an SME, you're listening to this or watching this, and you're a small, medium enterprise, and you have new staff, new people that are working with you. Maybe they never worked in the industry before, or maybe it's their first job after university. Maybe this kind of micromanagement and close supervision, it will be best suited for them because they need to be guided closely. As long as you don't drive them crazy, you know. So there are other management styles like, I don't know, coaching, supporting, delegating, which maybe if you have a more experienced employee, it is appropriate. For example, if your subordinates or if you have an employee or employees that are more experienced, therefore need minimal supervision. So look at your people, look at their experience and apply what I call situational leadership, I think is a good concept to apply. So you need to look at what they know, what they can do, what they cannot do. And then, you know, if you have somebody who is junior, maybe they need to, maybe they don't need to see the vision. They're 25 years old, they don't care about the vision. All they care about is having a good job, living at six o'clock, go meet a girlfriend, you know what I mean? Like, but they need support, they need, they need training. This is how you do it. So maybe you need to offer them training. You need to offer them support. You need to offer them different, you know, bring them to different training programs. But maybe you have somebody more experienced. They don't really need that training. So maybe they need to, you to tell them, if I stay, maybe they ask in their question, you know, if, I'm, if I stay here in your company, where are we going to be in three, five years down the line? And I know if you're running a small business, you might say, oh, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to be in three, five years down the line. Okay, fine. I understand that. And it's easy for me to, sit here with you and I know it all, but okay, if you know where you're going to be in three months, at least tell them. So as long, as far as your vision can go, please share it with your experienced people. And with the other people who are not so experienced, maybe you can coach them, maybe you can train them, maybe you can, you know, show them, show them the know-how. So it's kind of, you know, the answer to your question is situational leadership. You should be able to wear different hats and adapt to different kinds of people that you have in your company. Yeah, no, that's really interesting, Evan, because I think, as you say, it's interesting because micromanagement, I, I've, I've had a couple of clients that I think probably do micromanage too much. But as you say, when you actually say what micromanagement is, I would actually have defined that as probably a lack or a poor communication was the fact that every five minutes somebody's asking somebody else and somebody's hassling somebody for bits of information and there's all of these meetings for meetings for meetings sake and people are talking and talking and talking but not actually exit so I think it's an interesting thing but I think I've seen it you probably see it more than anyone else that I've actually seen that a lot of micromanagement comes from bad organization as well you know I'm a, I'm a tech nerd I'm a, I'm a massive fan of software and I've seen a lot of companies either just not using software effectively. They've got some kind of task management system or something in place. Nobody's using it. 
you know, the key management aren't necessarily using it or key management are using it and they're not pushing other people to use it. So I think, as you say, that I think there's a lot to unpack there. And it's really interesting that you say that actually it's it's about kind of dividing your your management style in, entirely based on people with more or, or less experience. I mean, have you got anything to share on that point of organisation and how you might suggest that an SME starts to put in place an organizational structure that, you know, doesn't micromanage the hell out of everyone. So everyone becomes frustrated, but also I think that that organizational piece is really important. So have you got any sort of suggestions or tips mm. on what to look at for that organizational piece to, to start to bring the team together? Uh, yeah, I think the first step, let's think of uh, structure, right? it comes from hiring, you know, I think recruitment and hiring, you know, the right people is essential. And I think you said it. You said something the other day, which I haven't heard for years, and it's totally proper, but it's like you said when we were talking offline that every company, in essence, is a recruitment company. Uh, and the, I haven't heard that since I tell you, like, if you don't tell, if you didn't tell me where you're from, you're from the UK. Like, this is sometimes the mentality. You know, you see some countries or some companies are more developed than others because they have that mentality. So you're a recruitment company. It doesn't matter the product. If you look at Nokia, I think Nokia started selling toilet paper 50 years ago and then they went into technology. So you are a recruitment company. That should be your mindset. And then we, you should be able to hire people that, you know, fit your culture, fit your team. You know, sometimes people say, um, you know, if, if you're SME and you want to put the team together. Yes, sometimes people say you hire for attitude. You don't hire for skill. Yes, but sometimes you need to hire for skill as well because you don't have six months to teach someone. So don't look at all the quotes you see around. You know, if I have a startup, sometimes I don't care about attitude. Can you do the job? I'll pay. You know what I mean? Because I won't know how. So look at where you are in the business phase. Are you in the startup phase? Starting, developing, where are you? And then look who you're going to hire. So number one is good hiring, good recruitment. Once you recruit, I think, Louis, is to have a good onboarding structure in place, especially for the first 30 days for the employee and for the first 90 days. You know, they always say when a new president or prime minister come, the first 100 days, the first 100 days is the same because you're going to, you're going to evaluate that person. You're going to judge them. You're going to monitor while they are doing the same to you. So hire right. Have a good onboarding uh, phase for the first month, like training, development, support. Uh, it needs to be organized. You know, what are they going to do the first day? What are they going to do the first week? Then, you know, I, I suggest, depends how big in your company, but for your for your new person, for your new employee every week on Friday for the first month, even for the first three months, I sound very northern there. For the first month, <laughs> I'm from I'm from Leeds. <laughs> for the first month, you should sit down with them every Friday afternoon before they go home and say, Hey Louis, how was your week? And let them talk. So be kind of a coach and listen and be able to read any patterns or read in between the lines. So what is the thing that you like? You know, what is the thing that you don't like? You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, we all have sometimes, you know, when you go back home, you get you get negative sometimes from your family, from your spouse. You work long hours, you do all that. So maybe you want to preempt this. Maybe you can say, look, I know you worked really hard. So if you go home now, 
your uh, wife or your partner will tell you but so when they go and they tell him ah oh, he told me you know what i mean so you kind of preempt so sit down so have onboarding sit down for the first couple of months to to get feedback to see and so on and so forth and then at the end of three months you know you 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 know you see where this person what are the, the strengths their abilities what they can do what they cannot do and then you you judge them accordingly and you proceed you know with what they're supposed to do so i think for the first 90 days, for the, the first three months, it's really important everything uh, for you, for your company, for your SME to be organized, training, coaching, development, whatever, in order to kind of lock that person in your company. And if you're an SME, you're the face of the company. You know, sometimes I have, I, 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 I had employees that they absolutely don't like the industry they are working in, but they love the owner, they love the manager, and they stay. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I mean, I, th I think that the recruitment company piece is really interesting. And I think especially with SMEs and startups, because I think with, you know, with a big corporate, if they hire five or six people that don't work out, it's not the end of the world. But if you hire two, three, four people as an SME, that could be 25% of your entire company, it could be 10%. And that matters. Yeah, it matters in a, in a big way. So I absolutely agree. I think the hiring process it's that fit for culture. And, and it's interesting you say that about the balance between attitude and skill. And I think, as you say, you've got to be in a privileged position to purely hire for, for attitude. Yeah, got a couple of clients at the moment that are kind of doing that, that they want a balance of attitude. It has to be there. The cultural fit has to be there. But ultimately, they don't have the time to train somebody completely from scratch. They don't have time to take in a uni grad who knows a little bit but does, can't hit the ground running. So that, that's a, a really interesting part. And I, I'm, I'm interested in your hiring process tips. Have, have you got anything that you'd suggest that when you're actually hiring somebody, a lot of people talking about video hiring at the moment, we're about to do some of that at JobMate actually at the moment. But I mean, th th there's so many different people talking about different things, but have you got any kind of quick and fast tips for somebody when they're hiring? Should it be traditional? You know, should you prepare your questions? Should it be more informal? What, what, what do you think, uh, uh, yeah, from, from a hiring perspective? You know, I think hiring is one of those things. I mean, I think you mean more from the recruitment during the interviews, right? During the recruitment, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I think it comes, you know, it comes with experience. Uh, you know, interviewing people and recruiting is, comes with experience. Like sometimes um, you can tell if that person will be good just by watch, just by look at their body language in the, in the reception area when they are waiting to, to be interviewed. So it comes with... I don't know. It comes with experience. So first of all, get experience. If you don't have interview people, if you're going to do it on Zoom, or if you want to ask people to send you a, uh, a pre-recorded video, I don't mind. So, but it comes with experience. And you know, what more can I say? It comes with experience. You have it or you don't. You know, if you don't, it will come. Now, the other thing is, um, no, I never actually prepared my questions, to be honest to you. Um if you want to prepare your questions, yes, but you know, the, the sometimes is sometimes we focus too much on the questions that we actually don't listen to the answers. <laughs> you know, so you know, recruitment it requires good listening and judgment of people. And some people have higher intuition than others, and some people don't, but it's fine. So listen to the answers and try to understand. If the person is giving you the answer because it's a textbook answer 
or if they're giving you an answer that comes from the heart. So you need to be able to, to be a good, um, to read people, if you know what I mean, a little bit. And if you are not, maybe you can hire somebody to do it for you. Because if you, again, if you are um, an SME, as you said, big companies, yeah, they don't care. Like they have the brand name, they don't care. You know, if they're gonna hire five people and all of them will resign, you know, they don't care. They have the brand name, they have the resources. Next week, they're gonna hire 10. But in small SMEs, one person, one employee can break or make your company. Like they can actually change the culture and raise the standards or totally destroy you. That's why you need to, you know, to, you need to know what, what is happening. So, you know, listen to the answers and try to understand what kind of person, you know, and ask them sometimes, you know, like, like one, one thing I do, maybe it can help is, when I interview people in Asia, I ask different questions than when I interview people in Europe, for example, because I know the culture in the last landscape in Asia. You told me you traveled to Asia before. One of the first questions I ask them is, how far do you live from the office? Because if they live two hours away, and it's very common in Jakarta, it's very common in India, it's very common in the Philippines, in Manila, if they tell me two hours away, yeah, they might be able to come to work, but after two months, they'll be exhausted. I tell you. So that's maybe another team. Know your landscape. Another thing I asked them is, if I said in a, in a polite way, so I asked them, you know, if you don't mind me asking, I said, I don't know your background, your family, but what kind of job did your parents do or did? Why I ask this? Because if they tell me my parents, you know, self-employed or work in the private sector, I know that, that they have experienced and they grew up in the environment where they see their parents working hard. But if they tell me in, they work for the government, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I know that 2 o'clock they want to go home. Not because they're bad people, because they, this is what they've seen and they want all the government benefit jobs and, you know, all the days off and public... You get my point? So know your landscape. Know your landscape. And, you know, sometimes, let's say, if you're recruiting for, I don't know, a different culture, you know, sometimes, you know... You might end up saying, you know, uh, spending maybe 20, 30 percent of your time before the interview, uh, when the interview starts, before you go to the questions to build a bit of relationship with uh, with a candidate, with a potential candidate. You know, how are you? Where you live? What you do? You know. So know the culture, know the landscape. For me, I don't prepare questions, and I kind of, I don't want to rush my interviews, and I kind of, I want to. You know, like you like when you do in sales, because you know, in sales, as soon as we get hold of the client, we can't wait to tell them everything. But recruitment kind of is the same. Like take a step back, breathe, and try to listen to the to the candidate and try to read in between the lines and try to understand what kind of person you are dealing with. Yeah, it's very interesting. A couple of really good tips there, I think, because I think it is the non-verbal stuff mixed with as you say, reading between the lines. Over the last few years, I've used something called the Icebreaker deck at, at interviews. I don't know whether you've come across it, but it's a deck of cards with just very unusual questions that you'd never think to ask somebody normally. And I was doing a, an interview recently and a card came up. The idea is that you know, you ask it or they ask it first and you swap. And it was, what's the best advice you've ever been given? You know, I think questions like that, it makes somebody think it's not a normal interview question, but you're then going to find out something fundamental 
about that person that you wouldn't normally have ever asked. And I think, as you say that, you're starting to see the attitude, but also I think something that matters is the why. You know, why do they want the job? And and just by asking somebody that, you, you're not going to get the answer. You, de- you know, if you ask them, why do you want the job? They're going to give you some pre-prepared thing that they've- Yeah, some come, paper, yeah. Some, they've come up with on the train. But as you start to get into more and more questions, you're going to start to realize- what that why really is Mm. are they actually passionate about the subject matter as you say is this just a job are they just looking for a paycheck and if you just need them to do a particular job maybe that's okay but I think you need to understand what kind of candidate you're actually looking for and then you need to understand that kind of why but I'm interested that you know you've hired somebody you've you've gone through interview processes you think you've got a good candidate you're then onboarding them which I think is is something we could talk about at length. But, uh, you know, onboarding for me is, as you say, it's kind of that organized process, things like communication guidelines and various other things to kind of set in motion what you want that candidate to learn, you know, and, and that new employee over a specific set of time. Have you got anything that you really suggest doing or not doing in that onboarding process? You know, is there a kind of a couple of key things that you think are really important that people should be doing? Mm-hmm. It's also on the recruitment process. I'm actually before I answer, I'm interested in yeah, the icebreaker yeah. thing. So uh, good idea. I should start implementing. <laughs> Maybe you can you can show me. I, I, yeah, sure. I, it's something similar. We do on the training on the training course with the icebreaker, but I, I suppose something similar. But yeah, please share it with me after. Maybe yeah, I will for sure. I think I think it's just uh, I like the fact that and digressing a little bit here, but I like the fact how random it is because you can't prepare. It's a deck of cards. Each card has something different. There's six different categories, kind of deep life. Would you rather random? So there's some very odd and unusual questions in there. Mm -hmm. I think the nice thing is that in an interview, you you get to hear from the candidate, but they also get to hear from you. You know, there's a two way exchange happening It's because I think as you say, and we'll talk about it a little bit in in a minute, but that relationship aspect is, do I like the candidate? Do I, could I actually work with them? And can I actually rely on them as a person? Do I think that? But also there's got to be a two-way street of, do they actually want to work with me? Because if they don't, and they figure that out sooner and and say, oh, actually, I'd, I'd rather not, I'd rather drop out the race. It's not really my kind of cultural fit. I think that's, it's really useful that you're you're both getting that. So yeah, I think the icebreaker decks are a really useful thing. And I think it makes interviews a lot more fun. I've had a lot of candidates say before, this is the most fun and unusual interview I've ever been part of, which is great. You know, even if they're not somebody that you hire, I think hopefully it gives them an experience that they might take to another interview. And and rather than just sit there and be berated with questions, they actually turn around and maybe ask the interviewer some more questions as well. And I think that's um, something that a lot of candidates don't do enough is ask about the people that they're being interviewed with. What are their values? You know, why are they working for the company? What do they really care about? How has their family influenced what they do for a living? You know, all those kind of yeah. things that you'd never normally think to ask. Yeah, it's, it's the, the last thing you want from a from a candidate leaving your interview is to say, "Well, I had a terrible interview, and I'm gonna." Then they go home. How is it terrible? This, uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Like this is because they are they are they are an ambassador of your of your company. You hire them, you don't hire them. You want them to go out on a positive note. So um, the tips that you said, look, for the interview, before the interview, for me, um, before the onboarding, by the way, I always do two interviews, maybe more, but I, I never do one interview. And the reason I do two interviews, the second interview, I ask more 
situational and practical questions on the job that they require. So tell me an example. What would you do? I give them situational questions that come from real, you know, are my challenges. Uh, but the, the, the most important reason, I suppose, I do two interviews is because I want to see their commitment. Because if some if someone comes back on a second interview, anybody can go on a, on a first interview. And I know it probably probably they're not going to be the I'm not the only one who they are going on the first interview. So I want to see their commitment on inviting that if I invite them back for a second interview. Now on the onboarding process, I think the, what I can share with my experience is um, the onboard. You know, the first thirty days and ninety days it needs to be very organized from the company. Like everything should be organized with a manual. In the past, we call it what we call a COD, cycle of development and every day we think. So what are they going to learn day one? Who they're going to be introduced to? What are they going to do day one? Maybe paperwork vetting and a tour of the department and whatever. Now, day two, day three, day four. Then week one, week two, week three, week four. And it needs to be really structured. You don't want because because if they come in and they, they, they it looks un, unorganized and every day they don't know where they're gonna be you don't want that so you maybe if you don't have that in in place maybe you should sit down for a couple of weeks and create an onboarding process and then the other thing as I think is to to educate your people to coach them to train them because I want my people when they go home on the first week or first month to feel that oh I'm learning things here and psychology. If we are in a place that we feel we are learning, we are developing, we keep going back because we love to be challenged. We love to be connected. We love to be stimulated. So add a lot of coaching, training, training elements in your onboarding process, even, even if the client, sorry, even if the candidate is mature and you tell them, listen, I know you're mature. I know you have experience, but I would like to expose you to our system, you know, if you have any suggestions, again, they are welcome. With my training, I don't mean to manipulate you or tell you, but please, you know, if you have any suggestions, blah, 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 and so on. So this is the tips I can give. Yeah, no, that's it's so true, Evan. I think, as you say, just putting that time and care and attention into the onboarding means that you've actually got visibility on what they're going to be doing. But I think also you're going to be realistic about what they're actually going to be able to do when they're going to be able to do it and i think as you say then communication with the, the new employee is really critical at that stage because and i think it's very easy in smes and startups as well that they want somebody to be doing 50 things on day two you know it's like well we've got all this stuff to do and we're really really busy and we've got time and and um i think that's that's very very qu quickly a way to disengage a new employee and actually to demotivate them very early on. Um, so as you say, to take that time to figure out what that process really looks like and um, kind of set in your mind when that candidate is going to be taking on certain responsibilities because it's not all going to be on day one. It's not going to be on week one, not going to be on week two, but at phasing them into the company and getting them to the point where they actually become an, an active team member. That's that's really good. So I, my next question, kind of in wrapping around the back of my brain, is about ego. Because I think it's it's very interesting that I think ego is a very strange thing in human psychology and a lot of people talk about it. I think that there are those leaders that probably think that they're perfect and will always think that. I think you've got leaders that probably know that maybe they should be doing something and then you meet other leaders that are just naturally 
as far as when you meet them, I'm not saying that that's how they've always been, but you meet them and they're just naturally very humble and very understanding of other people and 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 their position as as a leader. Now, I'm I'm interested in your perspective on kind of learning to overcome your ego. How much do you think somebody can learn that? Is it do you think is it a born thing? Like what what how how as a leader do you a overcome your ego? And B, what are some of the ways that you can start to do that? Because I think purely the idea of overcoming your own ego is quite a scary thing. So how as a leader do you start to approach that? Mm. You know, we all have egos, right? And sometimes our ego in one subject is higher than another subject or lower than another subject. In your personal life, maybe your ego is actually higher than your work life. And some people in the work, their ego is really higher but not really low in the personal life. So I think it comes, you know, it comes from your upbringing. It comes from DNA. It comes from the, it, it comes from the, from your child area, uh, era, sorry, and your the, the area and the environment you grew up with. Because if you grew up in the environment where you were very restricted and then all of a sudden you get power, maybe you kind of, you're using, overusing that power without you realizing it because you never had that kind of food before <laughs> you know so but if you grow up in an environment where you see you see you see wealth around and i don't mean financial wealth but you see abundance you see education maybe your ego will be you know i've seen it i know you know what i mean but if you come maybe from a restricted background and you all of a sudden exposed to wealth for example or to power maybe you will over kind of use it and it's difficult to be changed, you know, it's, it's challenging to be changed, you know. It's not an easy question for me to answer, it's, it's, you know, that's how people are. And, um, you know, as a, as a manager or as a business owner, one of the things I learned back in the days is I, I tried, I used to try to change my employees, change, change their, like, you can't really change people like Louis. You know, I think you know that yourself from your family, from your employees i think in life right you travel you have businesses you cannot really we cannot really change people. all we can do as managers as leaders is to impact you know to create a positive impact and whoever is going to follow will follow and 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 by having a relationship with your team as individuals you know, on the on an individual level i think it's an advantage because it will give you the knowledge, you will start to learn how to engage them according to what they like, according to how they are, according to how they like to communicate. Therefore, you will provide the appropriate development to them. The other thing I would say is there is no magic formula to motivating a team or individual. There is no one solution. And I think one of the most, I think, effective thing you can think of as a leader is effective leaders provide their people what the people cannot provide for themselves. Because if people can provide to themselves what you cannot provide, why do they need you? Mm. Yeah, true. Could be yeah. salary, it could be development, it could be training, coaching, could be, you know, like sharing a vision. Sorry, I stopped you there. But if you look at, for example, all the great leaders in history, Winston Churchill, the guy who said, I have a dream, you know, equality between black and white, you know, Alexander the Great. They provide people vision. This is where we are. This is where we're going to go. 
this is the way, these are the possibilities. When we go there, this is how everything is going to look like. People follow. So if you can provide that in a business context and then backed up with support, training, and so on, people will want to work with you. This is what I think anyway. No, it's, it's, it's very true, Evan. I, I've seen it before. I've seen it with various clients that are very clear about what their vision is and bringing people together to, to execute on that. And people feel that even if they're a smaller part of it, they're somehow part of this, this thing, this kind of organism that's growing and as a, as a business and as an organization. And I think that when you look at certain companies that have made a lot of impact, um, I'm a big fan of, I always get his name wrong, but Yaron Sherard, the guy who started Patagonia. Right. You know, and and when, when you kind of read about his leadership culture and how he inspired people to want to bring their best selves to work and how he looked after them and created that culture and um, how they faced insurmountable odds at, at times. And always came out of it stronger so I, I think it's it's very interesting and I, I guess you don't have to be on some giant mission to change the world and and bring sustainability to everyone but but it's just that ability to say this is what we're trying to do in our business this is the vision that we have and I also think I, I'd be interested to know your perspective that something that I do see with leaders is that perhaps they're not so good at communicating where that person might fit into that vision and what I mean by that is you know when when you're a small company you're a startup you're an SME your ability to grow and to create you know that growth for that vision will also mean that if those people that have been with you from the start stay with you they could end up being senior management within that company mm -hmm. but as you said earlier only if you coach them and develop them to be able to fit into that role that your first finance director or your first bookkeeper could become a lead finance position within that company but only if you a i think communicate that is the first thing the potential to to grow with the company but then it's this kind of coaching and development so I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on that as well of um you know why some companies i think are better at doing that and kind of inspiring people but i i guess it's also this idea of turning people into leaders as well that as you go as a company you need to turn you're a leader and you need to then inspire other leaders within your business for it to keep that sustainable growth going it's it, it, um you're asking me difficult questions today. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should chat. I'm only joking. Uh, so that's a great, great question. And that uh, makes me think. And um, that's a great thing about podcasts. You know, we learn from each other, right? I learn from you. you know, yeah. So uh, I think people nowadays, because of the uncertainty that is happening around, they need to see where we're going. They need to see the vision. They need hope because hope has been eliminated over the last couple of years, right? So they need to see hope. So if you have a small business, as you said, you know, maybe you're not going to change the world, you know, create the, I don't know, Uber of pancakes. But <laughs> if you have a small business and you're serving the community and you don't know, you honestly don't know where are you going to be in five years. But you should know where you're going to be the next three months. If it's positive where you're going to be the next three months, please share it with your people. It doesn't have to be Elon Musk or I don't know, 
you know, whatever, you know, or, or, or Apple CEO or uh, what's the guy that Yahoo, you know, but, and if you don't have a vision, please sit, again, sit down if you're watching this and see where are we going to be the next three months? Where are we going to do and how are we going to do there? Grab your people together, three people, five people, ten. this is where we are. This is the challenge. These are the things that are doing right. This is what we need to improve. If we do this, we're going to do there. And this is how everybody's going to benefit over and so on. So that's number one. So give people that hope, that vision that you're going somewhere, even if it's the, if you're even if you're just like a turtle, step by step. Even if it's you know serving ten, 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 ten more clients next month, it doesn't matter. You know, uh, that's number one. Number two. One of the, maybe I can answer with a question I ask in my coaching process when people are telling me a challenge. They are telling me a challenge. For example, you know, my people are resigning and then I ask them a set of questions. But anyway, one of the questions I always ask in the coaching process, in one of the, in one of the sessions is, if they tell me a specific challenge and the question I ask is this, okay, Luis, I understand that. You said so-and-so. So which of your talents do you think you can use to improve that mm. so maybe you can use that question to your employees which of wh yeah. which one of your talents do you think you can use to help us improve that or to improve that because you see if i ask you this question i value you i see you as a talented person so which and then it will you know, you see, I'm not asking, okay, what do you think we should do? Or you don't have experience in this. What? So I, I phrase the question in a positive way. And then they will reflect back to me and tell me this, that, I don't know. You see? So which one of your talents do you think, do you, think you can use to solve XX's problem or to improve the situation or whatever? So which one of your talents can you use to X solve, improve? help us that's great evan awesome um yeah no great great question i think that it, it comes into that i guess as well that begins to form that relationship right with with the employees that actually they're feeling that they're more part of something they're more part of a company they actually may have viable and real impact that they can go home and tell their friends and family that you know i did this thing and I help to create this change and impact. But I think it's it's very interesting that that be seen point that you brought up. I feel that that's one of the key things in building relationships with anybody, of course, you know, friends, family, but ultimately staff as well is that just seeing them and allowing them to feel that you have seen them, their talents, what they're doing, what they actually bring to the company, and um, so I, I'm interested on your kind of tips or ideas around building that relationship. It obviously starts with effective and good communication, you know, about making them feel involved. And as you say, at least understand where the company's going, what's happening. As you say, even if you don't know two, five years, three months, this is our plan. This is what we're doing. Help them feel a little bit more involved and in that some of their ideas actually may get you know, put into the company and, and might change things. But have you got anything else that you'd suggest in that kind of building relationship phase with new or existing employees? Mm. 
Look, as humans, Louis, what I think we all have the need to feel connected. And if, you know, you see the rise of the social networks, they, you know, this is what they're based on. So a feeling of being involved in a team or social network. And I, what do I mean a social network? I don't mean an online social network, but we all like to feel that we are involved in a team or a social network of friends, family, colleagues, and so on. So even that for, you know, for the people that like to work completely alone, you know, we call them introverts, whatever you want to call them, the IT guys, the coders, whatever, the writers, even those who do, there is nothing wrong. But even those who do, they also, I think, they like to have a feeling of worth within their work or within their social community. So we need to feel connected to other people, to friends, to family, and so on and so forth. So that's one, one I don't know, suggestion that I can say that, you know, people, they like to feel connected. And, uh, you know, when I was... Uh, trained in sales and then I was training people in sales I also you know I, I used to say something to my sales people I said everyone above their head they have an inv invisible halo halo which says make me feel special yeah so I said treat people like this treat customer like this and they are yours yeah very true Evan very true completely agree yeah i think i i would agree that you know sales it's it's as simple as that it's about magic moments and making people feel special and making people feel valued i think that something that we don't talk about enough in the business world is gratitude mm. is gratitude for your customers but also your your employees your staff the people around you that actually putting yourself back into that gratitude position saying I am grateful that you have chosen us to buy from us as a customer. I'm grateful that you choose to give me your time because I think that the working world is changing. And I think that there was a point long ago where the attitude was, well, you're lucky to have a job. You know, that that was kind of the attitude and, and still is of some big corporates. But I think things are changing. And I think it's, um, yeah, it's really critical as business owners and, and business leaders and management to, um, to, to be a bit more grateful customers employees and as you say just make people feel special valued because i think as you say when you do people will always get, go over and above you know when, when i had the chocolate business i don't think it was planned but we we treated people like friends a lot of the time you know we were really appreciative and grateful of a lot of our customers and we had a lot of customers that bought off us for 10 plus years every week yeah orders would come in consistently and they'd even phone us up and say things like oh we've had one of your competitors trying to sell you know a similar product we well, we don't want to buy from them we love you guys and that's something we didn't ever ask them to do but they volunteered to to do that themselves so um yeah no that's it's such a critical thing to to do it goes back to relationship it's always the relationship right yeah yeah for yeah. sure for sure evan so true and any other Thoughts, final advice, Evan, for small business owners in, in today's world? Uh, maybe interested to hear a little bit of your perspective on the digital impact of, of kind of what's happened, but any kind of tips for 2022 leaders, executives, and um, anything people should be thinking about? You mean the digital world, digital transformation? or It's challenging, you know. It's challenging to, 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 to pivot, right? But I guess if you have a... Um, 
I don't know if you have an SME now and you are in the retail or FMB business. I I think you cannot survive without social media, kind of right. Like yeah, I know a lot of FMB businesses that right now are doing more revenue and deliveries rather than from people sitting on the tables. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say they love it. We never think about it, but we're not going back. The gig economy. And I guess you know a couple of three things maybe you know. I think there are three kind of areas that a leader, a manager should kind of uh, satisfy. Number one is the task to get the job done. Number two, how we do this. Number two is the individual needs, you know, to harmonize the needs of the individual with the needs of the task and the group. And then, you know, the group maintenance needs to build and maintain team spirit and trust. So group maintenance, individual maintenance, task maintenance. Awesome. That's great, Evan. What what a fantastic podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. That was great. Tell people a little bit more about you, where they can find you online. What's the best way to connect with you? Is it LinkedIn? Is it your website? And uh, and any other final thoughts? Well, they can find me online. I think I'm quite active on LinkedIn, Evan Zivanakis. I'm there on my website, executivecoachasia.com. They can drop me an email, WhatsApp, or schedule a discovery call. And uh, final thoughts, no, thank you for the opportunity. It was great. And I hope I was, uh, the contact and what we discussed, it was uh, of value to to your audience and to business owners. And um, I'm looking forward to, to see you again. Yeah, no, thank you, Evan. It was really good, awesome podcast, loved it. And I think, as I said, um, we've already talked about it a couple of times in the podcast so far that people is such, uh, and, and leadership is such a critical part of a business. As you say, it's that, recruitment uh, company perspective so that's exactly why i wanted you to to come on and chat to me so yeah thank you so much evan um hope you have a lovely week and uh, maybe we'll get you back in the future at some point to talk a little bit more about um you know some of the new leadership and digital age stuff but uh, yeah thank you so much sure thank you very much bye for now